Section 31 of Rudder Grange. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rudder Grange by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter 16. In which an old friend appears and the bridal trip takes a fresh start. Gone! cried Euphemia, who with myself had been listening most intently to Pomona's story. Yes, continued Pomona, she was gone. I give one jump out of bed and felt the gases, but they was all right. But she was gone and her clothes was gone. I dressed, as pale as death, I do expect, and hurried to Joan's room, and he and me and the big man was all ready to go in no time and look for her. General Tom Thumb didn't seem very anxious, but we made him hurry up and come along with us. We couldn't afford to leave him nowheres. The clerk downstairs, a different one from the chap who was there the night before, said that a middle-aged, elderly lady came down about an hour before, and asked him to tell her the way to the United States Bank, and when he told her that he didn't know of any such bank, she just stared at him, and wanted to know what he was put there for. So he didn't have no more to say to her, and she went out, and he didn't take no notice which way she went. We had the same opinion about him that Mrs. Jackson had, but we didn't stop to tell him so. We hunted up and down the streets for an hour or more. We asked every policeman we met if he'd seen her. We went to a police station. We did everything we could think of, but no Mrs. Jackson turned up. Then we was so tired and hungry that we went into some place or other and got our breakfast. When we started out again, we kept on up one street and down another, and asking everybody who looked as if they had two grains of sense, which most of em didn't look as if they had more'n one, and that was in use to get em where they was going. At last, a little ways down a small street, we seed a crowd, and the minute we see it, Joan and me both said in our inside hearts, There she is! And sure enough, when we got there, who should we see, with a string of street loafers and boys around her, but Mrs. Andrew Jackson, with her little straw hat and her green carpet slippers, a dancin' some kind of skippin' fandango, and a holdin' out her skirts with the tips of her fingers. I was just a goin' to rush in and grab her when a man walks quick into the ring and touches her on the shoulder. The minute I seed him, I knowed him. It was our old boarder. It was, exclaimed Euphemia. Yes, it was truly him, and I didn't want him to see me there in such company, and he most likely knowin' that I was on my bridal trip. So I made a dive at my bonnet to see if I had a veil on, and findin' one I hauled it down. Madam, says the boarder, very respectful, to Mrs. Jackson, where do you live? "'Can't I take you home?' "'No, sir,' says she, "'at least not now. "'If you have a carriage, you may come for me after a while. "'I am waiting for the Bank of the United States to open, "'and until which time I must support myself on the light fantastic toe.' "'And then she tuck up her skirts and began to dance again. "'But she didn't make more than two steps before I rushed in, "'and taking her by the arm, hauled her out of the ring. "'And then up comes the big man with his face as red as fire. "'Look here,' says he to her, as if he was ready to eat her up. Did you draw every cent of that money? Not yet, not yet, says she. You did, you purse-proud cantaloupe, says he. You know very well you did, and now I'd like to know where my ox money is to come from. But Joan and me didn't intend to wait for no such talk as this, and he took the man by the arm, and I took the old woman, and we just walked em off. The boarder, he told the loafers to get out and go home, and none of em followed us, for they knowed if they did he'd a batted em over the head." but he comes up alongside of me, as I was a-walkin' behind with Mrs. Jackson, and he says, "'How do you do, Pomona?' I must say I felt as if I could slip in between two flagstones, 
but as I couldn't get away I said I was pretty well. I heard you was on your bridal trip, says he again. Is this it? It was just like him to know that, and as there was no help for it, I said it was. Is that your husband? says he, pointing to Joan. Yes, says I. It was very good in him to come along, says he. Is this your two groomsmen and bridesmaid? No, sir, says I. They're crazy. No wonder, says he. It's enough to drive em so to see you two. And then he went ahead and shook hands with Joan, and told him he knowed me a long time, but he didn't say nothing about having hoisted me out of a window, for which I was obliged to him. And then he came back to me and says to he, Good morning, I must go to the office. I hope you'll have a good time for the rest of your trip. If you happen to run short of lunatics, just let me know, and I'll furnish you with another pair. All right, says I, but you mustn't bring your little girl along. He kind of laughed at this, as we walked away, and then he turned around and come back, and says he, Have you been to any theaters or anything since you've been in town? No, says I, not one. Well, says he, you ought to go. Which do you like best, theaters, the circus, or wild beasts? I did really like the theater best, having thought of being a play actor, as you know, but I considered I'd better let that kind of thing slide just now, as I'm being a little too romantic, right after the asylum, and so I says, I've been once to a circus and once to a wild beast garden, and I like em both. I hardly know which I like best, the roaring beasts a-prancing about in their cages with the smell of blood and hay, and the tower and elephants, or the horses, and the music, and all the gauzy figures at the circus, and the splendid knights in armor, and flash and pennants, all on fiery steeds, a-plunging again the side of the ring, with their flags a-flying in the grand entry, says I, real excited about what I remembered about these shows. Well, says he, I don't wonder at your feelings. And now, here's two tickets for to-night, which you and your husband can have, if you like, for I can't go. There to a meeting of the Hudson County Entomological Society, over to Hoboken, at eight o'clock. Over to Hoboken, says I, that's a long way. Oh, no, it isn't, says he, and it won't cost you a cent but the ferry. They couldn't have them shows in the city, for if the creatures was to get loose, there's no knowing what might happen. So take em, and have as much fun as you can for the rest of your trip. Good-bye, and off he went. Well, we kept straight on to the doctor's, and glad we was when we got there, and mad he was when we left Mrs. Jackson and the general on his hands, for we wouldn't have no more to do with em, and he couldn't help undertaking to see that they got back to the asylum. I thought at first he wouldn't lift a finger to get us our trunk, but he cooled down after a bit, and said he hoped we'd try a different kind of institution for the rest of our trip, which we said we thought we would. That afternoon we gawked around, a-lookin' at all the outside shows, for Joan said he'd have to be pretty careful of his money now, and he was glad when I told him I had two free tickets in my pocket for a show in the evening. As we was a-walkin' down to the ferry after supper, says he, "'Suppose you let me have a look at them tickets.' So I hands em to him. He reads one of em, and he reads the other, which he needn't a done, for they was both alike, and then he turns to me and says, "'What kind of a man is your boarder as was?' It wasn't the easiest thing in the world to say just what he was, but I gave Joan the idea, in a general sort of a way, that he was pretty lively. "'So I should think,' says he, "'he's been trying a trick on us, and sending us to the wrong place.' It's rather late in the season for a show of the kind, but the place we ought to go is to a potato field. End of section 31